Open your Bibles, if you would please, to Genesis chapter 15. Chapter 15 in Genesis is the foundation of what our message is going to be about today. As we continue our series that we began last week, The Gospel Before Christ, we are in this series examining Old Testament passages that foreshadow God's promise to send the Savior Jesus. This week's message is titled, Count the Stars. Count the stars. That's exactly what God told Abraham to do when Abraham said to God, You have not given me any offspring, and I will not have any descendants. He said, Abraham, I want you to go outside and look up at the stars, and if you're able to count them, this is the number of descendants that you will have. An innumerable number. You see, God had a bigger idea in mind when he said that to Abraham. God had looked far into the future and was bringing us a message about what the future, what eternity would look like. And so that brings us to our principle here today. God's promise to Abraham points to the coming of Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the heir and seed that God promised to Abraham. So what we see here is that God is a covenant-making God. In the Bible, there are five major covenants. There is the Noahic covenant, there is the Mosaic covenant, there is the Davidic covenant, there is the New Covenant, which has its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and then we have what we're speaking about today, the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to spend a little bit more time explaining that. But the Lord desires to partner with humanity and to work together with us in fulfilling His will and His good plans for us. However, we do not always want to comply. But today we're going to see just what it is that Abraham did and how we can have, as Megan mentioned in her prayer, a faith like Abraham's. Now a covenant is an agreement or a promise between two parties. And in this covenant that God made with Abraham, which we see first of all in Genesis chapter 12, he says to him, I'm going to basically give you three things, Abraham. I'm going to give you land as far as your eye can see. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So there was land, there was descendants, and there was blessing. Those are the three things that God promised to Abraham in that covenant between them that he initiated in Genesis 12. So there are basically two types of covenants. We have conditional covenants and we have unconditional covenants. Now a conditional covenant is an agreement between two parties where each party has something that they need to do in order to keep the terms of that agreement. And if one of the parties failed to keep their part of the agreement, then the covenant was broken. And many times uh, in this culture, the one that broke the agreement was punished or even put to death. Now there's also an unconditional covenant. And an unconditional covenant is where the agreement or the terms of the agreement are conditioned upon only one of the parties keeping those terms. And so now I want you to look at Genesis chapter 15 and 
starting at about verse 12 and on down through the rest of the chapter, we see the details of this ceremony. So in chapter 12 of Genesis, God gives his covenant to Abraham and the details about it. But in chapter 15, we see the ceremony. Now, what happened? The way this used to work in the Old Testament was God says here, and I'll explain this a little bit further. He says here, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, what uh, they, the parties would do is they would cut these animals in half. They would put them in two rows, and then together they would pass between those rows, those carcasses. And that meant that was a sign of an agreement between the two parties. Okay, so that was a conditional covenant. Both people had a part to play in that covenant, and they were both bound to that agreement. But what's very interesting in this covenant with Abraham is that God instructs Abraham to get these animals. He cuts them in half. He sets them in two rows. But then a deep sleep comes upon Abraham. And so it's not God and Abraham walking between the pieces. It's just God. And God's presence is revealed in the image of a, a smoking oven and a flaming torch. The presence of God passes through the pieces of these animals while Abraham sleeps. And that meant that God's covenant with Abraham was unconditional. God was accepting all of the responsibility and all of the accountability with keeping this covenant. And that is a very important point. So point number one, God's covenant with Abraham is unconditional. Write that word on your note sheet, unconditional. You know, when you hear that term unconditional, you think about unconditional love. And that's a phrase that we use quite often in our culture, and we hear it many times, but I wonder if we really understand what unconditional is in the perspective that God sees unconditional love. I want you to think of it like this. The way that God sees unconditional love is he is loving someone regardless of what they have done in the past, regardless of what they are doing right now, and regardless of what they may do in the future. He is seeing them through divine eyes. He is looking at them with love regardless of their actions. You see, as human beings, we are flawed by sin, and oftentimes we will measure our love based upon what others have done for us or doing to us now or what we think they may do to us in the future. But we measure that love. And so we don't give the type of love that God gives, that unconditional love. Many times that's often bypassed. But God has what is known as agape love agape love it is a divine love that we see from god now there are many types of love that are illustrated in the bible the ancient greek language gives us these words that identify love and we see them there's eros a greek word that means uh, a romantic type of love that's where we get our english word erotic uh, there's also a philia which means brotherly love. And the city of Philadelphia gets its name, derives its name from that Greek word. Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. And then we have agape love. 
And agape love is the love that is from God. It is a divine love. And agape love is different because it is not wrapped up in emotions and feelings, but agape love is defined and evident by what it does. Agape love is evident by its actions. And agape love involves faithfulness, it involves commitment, and it involves an act of the will. And that's the kind of love that God has. Regardless of what we have done, what we're doing, or what we may do, He continues to love us. Now, there's a very important theological point that I need to make here. Because in oftentimes what we have the, uh, the ability to do is we confuse God's love. And we believe that because God loves us, He is going to refrain from any type of punishment or penalty for sin. And that's not true. God looks upon us with love. He loves everyone, but He will not forego punishment to those who do not repent of their sin. See, God can love someone and still punish them eternally for their sin. In fact, the Bible says that He will. It is the unrepentant and those who reject God. So we got to be very careful about how we speak in terms of God's love because many may get the impression that we say, well, God loves everyone, and He does. Absolutely, unconditionally, agape love. But it does not by any means mean that He disconnects His love from his righteousness, his holiness, and from his justice. You see, they work in harmony. They work in unison together. Because God loves, he must punish sin. Because God loves, he must keep his word. You see, God does not lie, and God does not change. Therefore, God still will punish the unrepentant, those who reject Jesus Christ, who reject God's plan of salvation. That's an important point to make because we say, well, God loves you, and then we tell people to just go on and continue to do what it is. They're making a confession with the mouth, but not with the heart. And God talks about, Jesus speaks about being born again, a new heart. And basically you're saying, I love you and I'm showing you with my heart. And my heart will lead me to actions that display my love. So this agape love, this unconditional love that God has, leads him to embrace all accountability in this covenant that he makes with Abraham. It is God who walks through the pieces that Abraham has cut, the two rows together, and he does so in the image of a smoky furnace and a flaming torch. Now, he says this to Abraham uh, down here, uh, right around chap uh, verses uh, uh, 13. He says, you will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years, but I will also judge the nations whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. So that smoky furnace or smoky oven that you see in your Bible, that represents the 400 years of slavery that the people of Israel are going to have to endure in Egypt. But that flaming torch, that represents the very presence of God. 
And you know that pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wonder, uh, the wilderness wandering through night? You can almost envision that. Abraham, a deep sleep came upon him, and it's those images that pass through those pieces. And God was saying, all of the accountability is on me. I am taking it upon myself to keep this covenant and to keep this promise. It's all on me, says the Lord God. Now, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12 is where we see the beginning of this covenant. God calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave this house, this home that you know, and I want you to go to a place that you do not know. And Abraham, that, that beautiful faith of Abraham, he, he does it. He obeys God. Now, a homework assignment that I want you to have and do. Uh, don't do this while you're watching football. Take time apart um, and just do it on your own. Get quiet with the Lord. I just want you to circle, underline, or highlight all the times you see the phrase, I will. Okay? I will. God says it many times in Genesis chapter 12. And I want you to recognize that because this speaks volumes about the unconditional covenant that he makes with Abraham. He is saying, I will do this. I will do that. And so that gives us a little bit more of a clearer insight into that. And what a refreshing message that is in the day and age we live in, in our culture. Someone who's going to take accountability and responsibility. Responsibility for their actions. You know, God is saying he's not passing the buck. He's not passing responsibility. He's not shuffling the blame onto someone else. He is saying, I want it right here on my back. And you know, that reminds me, here we are, we're in a playoff football season or any kind of sports context that you want to put this in. What do champions want? They want the ball. A champion quarterback wants the ball in his hands. The wide receiver who's a champ in the heart, he wants it thrown to him. At running back, he wants the rock in his hands, right? On the, in the baseball diamond, you, the guy who's the champion in his heart, he wants to be the one who's up to bat when, to determine who's going to win and who's going to lose. He wants to be the one that says, we won, I came through in the clutch, or we lost because I didn't. He is willing or she is willing to shoulder that load. They don't run from the ball, they run to the ball. And that's exactly what God is doing here. He is taking all accountability, all responsibility for this covenant. And he is saying, I'm putting it on my back and it's dependent upon me. And God is able to embrace all accountability because God always remains faithful. And that's a word you can write down on your notepad. Faithful. God will always remain faithful faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So it's starting to clear it up a little bit. We're getting some clarity here. That's why Abraham could be over there asleep while God was making this covenant. God is saying, no, there's no need for you to be uh, to walk between his pieces with me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to fulfill this covenant. And all I need you to do is come along 
for the ride. Get on my back because I am leading this team down the field and into the end zone, and that end zone is glory land. You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed in you. Jesus Christ is going to be the seed in the air, and all descendants are going to come through Jesus Christ. Abraham, don't you worry not one bit. I know that you're a human. I know that you can be faithless, but I am faithful. I cannot deny myself. I want you to just hold on to my hand. I want you to trust and obey, Abraham. And that's what he's saying to us today. Trust and obey. And oftentimes, trust and obedience means doing nothing. That's a hard thing to do. It's hard to resist the urge to jump in there and be the fixer and the problem solver, but to be still and know that He is God, to just rest easy knowing I have this faith in this great Almighty God, this God who created me, who formed me, who fashioned me, who saw my unformed substance and wove me in my mother's womb. He knows every thought and intent of my mind and my heart. He sees me for what I am. He has these wonderful plans for me. So guess what? If I try and fix it, I just might mess it up. I just might mess it up. So I will trust and I will obey. You know, God can always remain faithful because of His agape Love, that unconditional love where God loves us regardless of what we have done or what we are doing now. God's faithfulness is not dependent upon what we can do, but it's dependent upon who He is. Do you get that? God's faithfulness is not dependent upon what we do, but it's dependent upon who He is. Who is He? He is the God who is immutable. He cannot change. He cannot lie. He is the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. He is the God who is holy, without sin, unblemished, can do no wrong, can do no wicked, cannot sin. He is perfect in all His ways. My friends, that is the God that you serve. There's no Him hauling around. There's no mistakes. There's no, oh, well, I guess I, I didn't do that quite right. I better go back here and uh, rethink things a little bit. You know, we read passages of Scripture where we think that that's what's happened, but that isn't what's happened. What has happened is that God has had this plan from the very beginning. And humanity, because of our flawed, our flawed nature, has a tendency of messing things up ourselves. And here we see this perfect, holy, and loving God working right in the midst of all of this brokenness and all of this chaos and bringing this plan to a climax. And it's a beautiful unraveling of a big puzzle, putting together of a big puzzle. You know, this, uh, that God will always remain faithful, this is a wonderful promise that you and I have of security. Um, in all my studies and, and research, this is the uh, one part about the Christian faith and faith through Jesus Christ that really 
is untouched by any other philosophy or religion or way of thinking is that you are secure in Christ. You are secure in your faith. God promises to hold on to you based upon your faith, and He will not let you go, that His faithfulness is dependent upon Him. You see, our culture has misled so many people into thinking that they have to keep the list of tasks and works and traditions to do. If we don't do this list, God's love for us is going to wane. And that's simply not true. God's love never wanes. God's love always remains the same. The only thing that we may miss out on is the blessings that He has to offer through disobedience and the calling of the heart. That's why it's a personal relationship. You see this with Abraham. Abraham was personally called by God to leave his home. So the Abrahamic covenant showcases God's unconditional love for us. Something else we see in this uh, covenant in chapter 15 is how faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. So you can write that down in point number two. God is pleased, write the word pleased, by our faith in Him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith... Listen to this. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You know, belief is a very powerful thing. I was reading a story of a young woman, a single mother of two. She was 23 years old and uh, she had some experience in software and she had some experience in the medical industry. And so she felt led to start her own medical software business. And so she set out to obtain a license to be an official retailer to sell medical software. And so she sat down and she crunched the numbers and she said, well, it looks like I'm gonna need about $23,000 to make this dream a reality. Now, growing up, she had always had an uncle that she says always believed in her no matter what. He showed this uncanny trust in her. When she was a little girl, he was the type of uncle that was always giving her encouraging words. Uh, he would give her uh, money before she would leave the house, like a $20 bill, she said, just to cover some gas, just to help me out. Just always a good guy, a good uncle, someone that always showed trust and faith in me and belief in me. So she's like, well, I've got $6,000. I'm going to need another $17,000 to make this dream a reality. She went to her uncle and asked, told, her, told him what her uh, ambitions were going to be and what she needed the money for. And she said that without hesitation, he gave me the money. Now, he was a dentist, so he had that kind of money available. But without question, gave her that money. And right then and there showed that belief and that trust in her. And it just, it changed her life. You know, belief and believing in someone can make them light up and can lead them to achievements that they otherwise wouldn't have known that they would be able to do. It changes lives. And so this is the type of belief that God wants us to have in Him. 
And that's why God says, I will count faith as righteousness. I want you to look at verse 6 in chapter 15. Okay, Verse 6, chapter 15 of Genesis. This is God speaking to Abraham. Then he believed in the Lord. That's Abraham. Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That word believe in the Hebrew is the same word as that's used for faith. And it means this, to commit and to entrust. It's an action. It's a verb. It means that you commit to God's plans. And so it's a lot more deep than just having this passing thought float around in her head. Well, I believe that. No, it's action. It's commitment. I am all in on this. I am committed to this. Come hell or high water, come you know, sunshine or snowfall. I am in it with God. Wherever it leads, if I look like a fool in front of a nation full of people, well, that's okay with me because I am committed to God. You see, that's the type of faith that it takes. And when God sees that, the moment that we have that faith in our hearts, we put our love for Him ahead of how we may look or feel our reputation, our character, all of that stuff, that's when things change. That's when things change. You know, so faith counted as righteousness is a very important part of the Scriptures. Four times in the New Testament he repeats that phrase. Uh, so that's what faith is. It means fidelity, and it means a reliance upon. Now, when I was eight years old, I locked myself in a refrigerator. I don't know if I ever told you that before, but I locked myself in a refrigerator. Grandma and Grandpa had an old refrigerator in the uh, back room, and it was not plugged in. It was dark, and I, we were playing hide-and-seek, and I climbed in it, and I shut the door, and I could not get out. And I panicked and started banging on the door. And I had a reliance upon the people outside to rescue me and to get me out of that refrigerator. Uh, recently watched a documentary on, it's called The uh, Society of the Snow. It documents the 1972 plane crash in the Andes Mountains of a rugby team in Uruguay. And they crashed in the Andes Mountains and for 72 days they had to survive in the cold, in the snow, and all they had for shelter was the remnants of this crashed plane. They had no food, and so they had to resort to cannibalism in order to survive. And there were 40 passengers, and I believe it was something like 13 or 14 of them actually survived. But they had to get by with a reliance on other people. They had to depend upon others for their rescue. And that's exactly the type of faith that God is looking for from us. He wants us to rely upon Him with every fiber of our being. We need you, God. I can't do it apart from you, God. I need you in this situation now, God. I can't do this on my own. I'm relying upon you, God. And it's that type of attitude that makes us righteous in his eyes. And that's why God justifies us through faith. Write that word down in your note card, justifies. God justifies us through faith. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification means we have right standing with God. It is the gift of having past wrongs forgotten. You and I have the honor of standing before Almighty God in righteous standing, and we can, He can call us sons and daughters because of our justification through our faith. And you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that faith brings clarity, right? That's the word, clarity for 2024. And we see this evident with Abraham in his moments of confusion, he wasn't showing faith. He had an incident with Hagar, his wife's maidservant. There was confusion and a hastiness. They didn't want to wait on God to fulfill his plan, so they took matters into their own hands. There's another instance with a man named Abimelech where Abraham is going uh, into a country and he says to the people there, this is, this is my sister, referring to his wife. He calls her his sister because he fears that they will kill him if he tells them this is his wife. He's not trusting in those instances. So I don't want to portray Abraham as a man of perfect faith. He was not. He was a man who made mistakes himself. And so I want to encourage you with that. It's okay if you have made mistakes. It's okay. God still loves you. God still will look to you to trust and obey Him. He has not slammed the door on you. Look, I've made some whoppers, okay? We all have at some point in time. So have these men of faith, Abraham, Peter, all of these folks. God still gives room for those mistakes and allows them to come into His presence and to have a covenant with him because why because the covenant is not based upon what they do the covenant is based upon what he will do and who he is final point i want to make and we'll wrap this up blessing in abraham comes through jesus this is the final thing that we see in this uh, covenant that god makes with abraham blessing write that word blessing blessing in abraham comes through jesus Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What God is saying there is that Jesus is the seed. Write that word down. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. How do we know that? Because Galatians 3.16 tells us so. It says this, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. So Paul is writing to the Galatian church here, and he is saying, that seed that God was speaking about way back in Genesis chapter 15, that is Jesus. And what's significant about that is that all believers... In Christ are Abraham's descendants. Now, the very first chapter in the New Testament is Matthew chapter 1. And if you look at that, you'll see immediately it goes right to the lineage to prove that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. There are 14 generations from Abraham to David. There are 14 generations from David to the deportation of Babylon to Babylon. And then 14 generations from that point to Jesus. 
14 times 3, that's 42 generations between Abraham and Jesus Christ. And Paul writes here, Jesus is the seed of Abraham. So believers in Christ are Abraham's descendants. Galatians 3.29 says this, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. You see how that fits together? You see how when God was speaking to Abraham way back in Genesis 12, that he was looking to the future and he was saying, you know what, those descendants that you see in the stars or uh, that you will have as numerous as the stars, this is how it's going to come to be. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will be your descendants. You know what that means, folks? That means you and I, after this final victory over Satan, after the millennial kingdom is established, we have a final victory over Satan. That means that when we're in the eternal state, all of those who are going to be in heaven will be Abraham's descendants because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, sir. Count the stars, Abraham. Count the stars, you and I, because in heaven there will be an innumerable family for you and I, and we will be there with each other forever in eternity. Count those stars. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you, Lord, for your faith in us. I want to thank you, Father, that you are faithful and that your faith never wavers, that your love for us is unconditional. I want to thank you, Father, that you take all accountability upon your shoulders. And I want to thank you, Father, that you have provided us this time for anyone who is ready to make a commitment to you as Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're ready to make a commitment of faith now for the very first time. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and into your heart just like this. Dear Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were placed in a tomb and rose again on a third day. Jesus, I want to spend eternity in heaven with you when my time here is done. I believe you are God's son. Father, we thank you again, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.